0: 95% of people think they're self-aware, but only 10 to 15% of people actually are. So the joke I always make is that on a good day, 80% of us are lying to ourselves about whether we're lying to ourselves. Tasha Eurich. Hey, friends, welcome back to another episode of Intentional Living and Leadership with me, Cal Walters. Thank you so much for listening today. If you're new to us, we release a new episode every other Tuesday, and our hope is that this podcast helps you live a more intentional life, that it helps you lead yourself, that it helps you inspire other people and ultimately make the world a better place. Today, you are in for a treat. I'm bringing you an interview with someone that has intimately studied leadership and personal growth strategies for many years. His name is Ryan Hawk. And for many of you, he needs no introduction. Ryan Hawk is a keynote speaker, author, advisor, and the host of The Learning Leader Show, which Forbes called the most dynamic leadership podcast out there. And Inc. Magazine recognized it as a top five podcast to make you a smarter leader. Featuring interviews with hundreds of best-selling authors and world-renowned corporate, athletic, and military leaders, the show has millions of listeners in more than 150 countries. He's the author of Welcome to Management, How to Grow from Top Performer to Excellent Leader, and his new book, Welcome to Management, has received a lot of praise. Number one New York Times best-selling author Daniel Peake, called Welcome to Management, The Ultimate All-in-One Guide to Becoming a Great Leader. Retired four-star General Stanley McChrystal said Ryan's work provides nuance and articulate insights into the best way to begin developing a plan to bring to light how we should lead, and it starts with re-examining ourselves. New York Times bestselling author Liz Wiseman said, Ryan has uncovered the secrets of what the best leaders do and how they think. If you're a new manager transitioning from player to coach, do yourself and your team a favor and read this book. As head of Brixie Meyer's leadership advisory practice, Ryan speaks regularly at Fortune 500 companies, works with teams and players in the NFL, NBA, and NCAA, and facilitates leadership circles that offer structured guidance and collaborative feedback to new and experienced leaders. A lifelong student of leadership, Ryan was a high school, college, and professional quarterback and captain who advanced professionally from award winning individual contributor to VP of sales for a multi billion dollar company. Ryan draws upon his experiences, empirical evidence, and expert insights to strive for continuous improvement in his own life and to inspire other leaders to achieve and sustain excellence. He's passionate about helping others to become humble servant leaders who build committed organizations as intentionally and painlessly as possible. For more information about how to connect with Ryan, you can visit the show notes for this episode at my website, calwalters.me. As you'll see, Ryan is high energy and he's passionate about leadership. We discuss his why for teaching, his book, what he's learned from over 350 interviews about sustaining Excellence, his four part learning framework, which is awesome, giving and receiving feedback, insights from General McChrystal about leading in uncertain times, building a healthy culture, and much, much more. If you can, grab a pen and paper or something to take notes on and soak up these rich insights from a true leadership expert, Ryan Hawk. Ryan Hawk, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Cal. Thanks for having me, man. It's good to be here. Thank you for uh, your your service to our country, man. For those who are listening in the States, uh, I hold you in the highest regards. I'm happy to be here, man.
0: Well, it's it's so awesome to, to connect with you. I've really enjoyed your podcast. And that's kind of my first question for you. Now you're an author of the new book, Welcome to Management, which is great. And I'm excited to dig into that. But What is kind of your why for teaching leadership? You're clearly passionate about it. You you do it in so many different settings. What is your why for that? And where does that come from for you?
1: Uh, Well, one, it comes from a place of great privilege. I think when you're born into a very lucky situation, uh, I do my best to understand that and then not waste the incredible opportunity I've been given. I was born in the United States. I was born to an incredible mom and dad with two, at the time I was born with one older brother and a younger brother to come later. But but growing up in that environment, I realized an amazing amount of privilege that most people don't have. And so now my mission is to not waste that. Hmm. When you've been given a lot, I feel this responsibility to give a lot, and so part of part of the reason for the show and doing my podcast in uh, in public, my learning in public is my hope that it could help others along the way. I initially started it because I had finished getting my MBA, and my company had paid for that, and they would continue to pay for additional graduate degrees. You know, I, I, I looked at going back to school again in order to use the money that my company would pay for that to reimburse me on that. And instead, I I chose to create my own form of a leadership PhD program by going directly to the professors that I wanted to speak with, and those are the guests of my show, The Learning Leader Show. And so the cool part about it, though, was that if I was willing to record them and then publish those conversations and allow others to hear me fumbling around, making mistakes, <laughs> that maybe that would create a place where they could learn and grow and improve and get better and then I could become a multiplier and that term comes from Liz Weissman her great book multipliers and and if I have a chance to potentially impact others while being a little bit vulnerable along the way if you listen over the past five years cow, you could hear that growth uh fortunately <laughs> the beginning is very rough and we've gradually gotten a little bit better and I think that's that's really why I do it because I continually get great emails from people like you and others mm. who talk to me about the impact it's having not only on their life, but then the people that they lead. And so that is the fuel, the juice, the reason that I want to keep coming back to prepare to get ready to have great conversations on a daily basis. And it's, it's, it's really uh, an amazing way to, to go about doing work. And I feel very fortunate to get to keep doing it every day.
0: I love what you said there about growth and public. I was tempted the other day, because I think we I'm about, this will be episode 31 or 32. So we're not that far in. Uh, but I was even tempted the other day to go back and edit my first few episodes. And then I thought to myself, and I was talking to a friend, he was like, no, Cal, you need to let people see your own growth. I think that's part of the whole experience that we're all going through is, is allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and just acknowledge that we're all on this journey of growth.
1: You're right. And I think... It will, be, it, it will be useful for you and your fans and listeners to go back uh, and, and, and he, literally hear you improving and growing and getting better as you progress. And I think that's – not everybody you know, has the guts to do that, man. So I give you credit for, for doing that and leaving it as is. But that can be motivating not only for you but also for the people listening because they can see, okay, Cal's doing it. I can do it that's what leadership is, right? That's is, is, is sharing and being vulnerable enough so that others could come along with you. And I think, uh, it's very cool, man. Congrats.
0: Well, thanks. No, I, well, yeah, well, I don't know that I, uh, deserve congratulations, but Hey, I want to, uh, man, welcome to management, such a great book. How does it feel to, to have this out there to be published and now be an author to be getting such great reviews on it. How does it feel? Well,
1: I mean, <laughs> for lack of a better word, it feels good um, <laughs> I think you know there there are there are inflection points in your life to where you become something so you you become a husband, you become a dad, you become uh an author and um there aren't that many of those, and so that that part are, is 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 a good feeling, but also um it does motivate me to want to do it again, uh, as hard as it is. And I I've sat down recently to try to do that, but that that process is very painful and it actually gives me some appreciation for the great work I've been able to read of others. Um, and I'm happy that the work uh that was done over the last four-ish years has has been helpful for people like you, especially someone who served our country and and certainly knows what leadership is all about, um, that it's benefited your life. Um also there's only roughly 50% of Americans listen to podcasts still to this day, which sounds crazy to me. You'd think it'd be a hundred, but it's not, it's not even the majority Mm -hmm. yet, but everybody understands what a book is. Not everybody reads books, but they all at least understand what they are. They can buy it. They can read it. They can get the wisdom for about 20 bucks. So the fact that there is a, uh, a product out there that I've been, that I've put in the years to, to, to get out with a lot of help, obviously is, is a good feeling. And I'm, I'm glad that it's impacting your life in a positive way. Cause I, cause as I've said before, why leadership is so important, is not just about you cow. It's about all the people that are the ripple effect that, that, that goes far and wide from how you behave as a leader. So if the work that I've written helps you, I get a lot of satisfaction out of knowing it's going to help your spouse And the people in your sphere, uh, that part is very gratifying.
0: Yeah, I love, uh, so there's so many things I love about this book. One of the things I really appreciate about it is it is a full encyclopedia in a lot of ways about leadership. And I love the structure of it, starting with leading yourself to building your team to then leading your team. And I feel like this is a book, you know, some books you read about culture, or you read a book about empowerment, or you read a book about, you know, hiring and firing. This book has it all. And I feel like it's a book that people can go back to.
1: So when you wrote this book, who did you have in mind for this book? I had me when I was 27. Mm-hmm. And what was going on at that point was I was a uh, high performing individual contributor in my role. I worked in uh, telephonic sales at LexisNexis. And I, because I had performed at a high level, it had given me the opportunity to get to, to go for an open management role. Uh, they basically looked at the top of the sales stack rankings. They took the top four or five of us and we got to interview for that job. And I was able to earn that job uh, and partially was because of my background playing quarterback in, in, in college and a little bit after college professionally. And the problem was I, ha- I was extremely ill-prepared once I got promoted. And so my hope is that the person who is like me, who is newly promoted, gets a a big handshake or a hug, or maybe not now, but uh, (laughs) before all of this, they were getting a handshake and a hug and then also handed this book to say, here is a guide, here is a manual, here is is a book with practical tools that you could implement right now on hiring, firing, running better meetings, having better one-on-ones all of that. Here, you can implement this right now and it will make you a better manager. It'll make you a better leader. Um, And all that, of course, starts first with yourself. That's, That's who the book was originally written for. What's cool that has happened, Cal, since then is I've had people who were CEOs of companies, senior leaders who've been in leadership positions for 20 plus years saying, I think you might have, may have mistitled this book. I don't think you should just focus on that narrow time in somebody's life when they get promoted for the first time. I think this applies to leaders in all scopes, all levels of experience. So I'm happy that that's been some of the response, but that wasn't what I was expecting when I initially wrote it. How
0: did you come up with the title, Welcome to Management?
1: <clears throat> so I had... Um, probably 20 plus different, honestly, titles that we had initially had. I I had different titles when I actually sold the book to McGraw Hill, the publisher who bought the proposal. It was a different title. I had different titles all along the way. One of the early readers, I've already mentioned her, her name is Liz Weissman. And Liz is an incredible author and has done some amazing work all over the world as a leader. She was reading and and giving me very candid feedback that, that helped me. And if you look early in the book, uh, after the first story i mentioned the phrase is that what you thought management entailed or or something along the lines of of being surprised about what it entailed and i wrote welcome to management and liz wrote back to me uh, in a note and then called me and said what are you doing that is your title that's it you have to change it. So I actually forwarded that email to McGraw Hill and Casey Ebro, who is my, the executive editor of McGraw Hill, and uh, and and my partner on this book. And I said, "What do you think of this?" And she said, "A resounding yes." I just shared it with the entire office. We all agree. And so at that moment, it shifted from you know the learning leader or learn to lead or whatever new manager needs to learn all these different crazy titles to welcome to management and then how to grow from top performer to excellent leader. I think that's that was the moment that had happened uh, when Liz uh, had alerted me to that. So I'm very grateful for her feedback.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I, I just want to echo what you said too about the kind of the subtitle here. And I see this a lot. I've seen it in my experience as an entry officer. Now in my experience as an attorney, especially is that a lot of folks, you know, you become a technocrat, you become very good at what you do. But it, this, this book highlights that leadership is an entirely separate discipline. It's this entirely separate skill that you have to develop. And just because you're good at the technical part of your job doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be good at leading. So I love that you're, you're writing that book for, for all of us, I think, that need to take that next step and grow in our leadership. So Ryan, I want to turn the tables on you. Uh, this is a question that you ask all of your guests. I'm sure you know what's coming. I want to ask you about excellence, and, mm-hmm. and kind of ask you about your take on excellence. You talk about it in the book. What, in your mind, are the commonalities of those who sustain excellence over an extended period of time? Uh,
1: thank you for the question. <laughs> it's uh, a great question. It's, it's one of my favorite questions, <laughs> maybe the favorite question that I ask uh, people on air and off. Um, so it's it's hard to distill it down, but I'll do my best. Uh, right now, I would say there are really two behaviors that I will focus on when it comes to excellence. And it's it's important to define excellence too. And I think excellence is the, is the gradual pursuit, the gradual actions of getting just a bit better every day. That's what excellence means to me. That the tra- trajectory, I don't know if it's on video or not, is just going up, right? A little bit right as james clear would say the aggregation of marginal gains right just getting a little bit better every single day so really if there's two behaviors of people that i found to share when it comes to their excellence is first they're very thoughtful individuals they take time to reflect to gain a true understanding of what's real what's not what's happening right they they really think about the world. They really think about people. They really think about their behavior and how it impacts other. Just really thoughtful people in general. They often will pause, and sometimes even mm, mm, have have uh, mannerisms like that. When I think about some of the, the the guests who have been extremely beneficial to me on the show. Sometimes it takes them a while to get to an answer, but then once they do, it's incredible. It's because they're thoughtful. They're thinking it through. And I think that's, that's one good quality. The second, and it stems from being very thoughtful, is that they are intentional. Once they have thought things through, once they've reflected, they go. They make that decision and then they go. You know, being in the military, you've got to be intentional with your actions or people could die. And uh, you need to put thought into that as well. You need to be prepared for these life and death moments. And I've found leaders who really sustain excellence after they've thought things through. They are very intentional with their behavior. They don't haphazardly wander through life and say, well, I'm just hoping for the best. They go and make it happen between their thought and their intentionality is what it is that that makes it happen. And so if I had to distill it down, Cal, and it's hard to do, I would say it's thoughtfulness and intentionality.
0: Mm, I love that. You also talk about this cycle of learning and operating framework, which I really love. You talk about these four steps, learn, test, teach, and reflect. Can you kind of break that down for us a little bit and explain that to the audience?
1: Yeah, I was when I was having these conversations. The the words framework and standard operating procedure kept coming up over and over. Like the word, literally, word framework. Or what's your framework for making decisions? Or your framework for for uh, how you behave every day? And I noticed that I didn't really have that mapped out. And so I thought it would it would it would be beneficial for me to map that out. Like what does? Yeah. How do I behave every day? What's a perfect day? what would be some what are what are some of the behaviors that i want to do on a regular basis and so for me you mentioned the four parts first i need to be a consumer of knowledge i need to really work that intake engine i need to be reading books having long form conversations with people who are smarter than me right really being the person to take in the knowledge the wisdom that's the first part second is i need to experiment based on what i've learned i need to actually take what i've that from the intake engine, I need to put that into play. I need to actually do something with it. I need, to, I need to regularly experiment with what I've learned. You can't just sit in the corner and read books all day. You have to go and do it. Or as the Wright brothers, yes, they stood in the sand dunes and watched the birds down in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina to try to understand how their wings were moving in order to build the wings of the first flying machine, but then they actually had to go mount the machine and take it on trial runs, including pushing through failure, right? And that's what happened as they built the first ever flying machine. They're from right here in Dayton, Ohio, where I live, and so that, that's, that story speaks to me. They, they experimented with what they were learning. Three though, and this harkens back to the earlier uh, uh, my earlier answer, they take time to, to, to step back, to reflect, to analyze, okay, this is what I've learned. This is what I've experimented with. Now, this works or this doesn't. This works, this doesn't. Regularly analyze the results of their experiments to know what should I continue to do and what should I stop doing. What are the new things I'm gonna start doing based on my learnings and the experimentations? What am I gonna stop doing? Not everything's going to work. If everything works, that means you're not trying enough. And so that's, that's an important part, which is the reflection stage. And then fourth, which not enough people think about and do on a regular basis, I've found the act of teaching to be one of the best mechanisms and tools in the world for learning. Yeah. So think about any big presentation you've had to give or even a test in school, uh, maybe a guest lecture at a, at a university, or, or you're writing a blog post. When you are put in the position to teach other people to try to add value to their lives, you're going to work like crazy if you have any pride. You're going to work like crazy to prepare for that moment. And that process of preparing and then teaching others is such a useful mechanism for learning. And so that's why the fourth really important part is to put yourself in the position of being a teacher. One of the reasons that I travel the, the world giving keynotes about 45 to 50 a year is for that very reason because I know before every single one of those times I get up on stage, I'm going to do an amazing amount of preparation, which will make me smarter. And so I'm trying to, to, to level up my, my level of intelligence. And so I have to regularly put myself in positions to be teaching other people. And that is when I really learn.
0: Yeah. I found that to be so true too, just on that last point of teaching with this podcast. I mean, it's really a nice forcing function. Every when I, especially when I do the solo episodes, every time I do that, I dig into the material, I internalize it. I think about it, I test it and then I teach it and then it becomes second nature when I have to, you know, bring it back to my, to my memory. And I'm sure you've seen that too on, on your show and the the keynotes that you give. Ryan, you're, you're a former quarterback, so you've got a lot of experience with uh, receiving coaching, and I'm sure coaching as well. And in the book, you do a really cool job of distinguishing between coaches and mentors. Can you tell us, in your mind, the difference between a mentor and a coach and kind of the role of each in a leader's life?
1: Yeah, I mean, and there are some similarities, but I I think for me, uh, a a coach is giving specific feedback on a task or uh, uh, some of my performance happening right now in the moment. I I, I was lucky to play for a great quarterback coach at Miami University named Shane Montgomery. And Shane is looking at each step and the angle and then how we reviewed the defense, what we were looking at. And he was giving very specific performance-based coaching. But at the same time, I had mentors in my life that I could go to to talk about big, more broad life issues or things that were happening. And so I think it's very beneficial in your working life to have people who can be that very performance-based coach to give specific feedback on actions you're doing right now, as well as the person you can go to that can, that can be the wise mentor. Perhaps they have more life repetitions than you so they can share what they've gathered over their experience that you don't have yet. Um, and to have people who, who, who play those roles for you specifically. And, and so like for me, in my case, my dad plays that role as a mentor who I can go to for advice on being a dad, on being a husband, on some of the ways maybe he goes about speaking from stage business wise, but then I also have hired people who are writing coaches and keynote speaking coaches who can give me very specific, specific, direct feedback on a sentence that I've written or on how I opened a keynote and they can, we can work on that together. So for me, I think it's very useful to have both. And that's the difference I've, I've at least come up with when it comes from uh, coaching and, and, and mentors.
0: There's, there seems to be a lot of uh, material on receiving feedback and I'm curious for you do, you, do you find it tough to receive feedback? Do you have some like, kind of an internal mechanism for saying, okay, this may hurt to get this critical feedback, but I'm going to let it uh, you know, sink in because I know it's good for me. Because I think a lot of folks, you know, there's that kind of fight or flight that kicks in of like, oh man, I don't want to hear this. This hurts, but it's also good for me. What, what advice might you give to people? To help us, I guess, get into a place where we're, we're willing to ask for feedback and then receive feedback from these coaches and mentors?
1: I think, given my background, and I, I'd be curious to hear your, your background with being in the military, I, I crave coaching. I crave, literally crave feedback. I'm asking for it constantly. And that's because I think I've grown up in that world. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the world of having coaches year round. I played football, basketball, and baseball growing up seriously and then and, and then even more serious into college and so I've always had coaching and so I remember when I when I stopped playing football not having a specific coach was a weird position to be in I didn't like it I so I personally love coaching now I am intentional about who I ask for coaching but uh once you- I have I let me follow up
0: on that. Who who yeah. do you who do you ask for coaching? What's well, that thought I, process I, for you?
1: I think that I look for people that I look up to. I look for people that have accomplished things that I want to do. So uh, if if they haven't necessarily done it, when it comes to let's say doing a podcast. I, I'm not, I never would, I usually do not get coaching from someone who has not really done hundreds and hundreds of interviews, someone who's not produced a podcast. So if I'm thinking about interviewing, I, I'm not really going to listen to somebody who's never really done interviews. I mean, you, every once in a while you could potentially get wisdom from them, but I want someone who's actually done a thousand interviews to, to get feedback from them. Yeah. Right. I, I'm not really asking from somebody else. Um, when it comes to playing quarterback, I've, I've occasionally had coaches that didn't play quarterback. I've also had coaches that did now, just in my experience, there's something about playing that position and having the defensive lineman right in your face and having to step into a throw, knowing you're going to get hit on the chin, speaking with that person who has felt that has been more beneficial for me, just me personally, than those who never have done that before. So there now there are are countless examples of football coaches who have done fine without having played in the NFL. I understand that. I'm just saying from my experience. So, and you ask, what do I look for? So I look for people who have done what I want to do. And then I ask them and I go to them um, because I want an actual practitioner of it. When I hired Uh, one of the speaking coaches I had, he he was a prosecutor for 10 years. Do you know what a prosecutor has to do? They have to use evidence to persuade. Well, that's what I try to do when I'm on stage. Is he a speaking coach? Not really. He never was before I hired him. But he had spent more than a decade using evidence to persuade somebody. That's what I want. So that's who I worked with. So uh, I'd say get creative, look for the people that you look up to, people that you think have actually done it, and then see, hopefully they can deconstruct their genius and then share it to you. Because not everybody who is an exceptional performer is a great coach. So you do have to be mindful of that too. But in my experience, that's what I've tried to do.
0: How do you filter, once they give you feedback, how do you filter whether you're going to follow it
1: or not? Um, well, I think the, the filtering happens before, uh, I even ask for the feedback. So for the most part, if they've passed that first test where I'm going to go to them for feedback, I usually will, will, will try what they're saying. I usually will give it a shot. I will think about that because they've passed the toughest test, which is just kind of getting into the room of saying, okay, we're going to have a constructive conversation here uh, it's not always that not everything they share is 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 uh, going to work. I understand that but I am going to at a minimum. I'm going to think about it deeply and probably um, experiment with it based on the fact that they've they've passed the initial test of saying yeah we're going to work together in this capacity.
0: Yeah, I think, and just kind of my own take, I, I think there is immense value in opening yourself up to feedback. And, and for some reason, I don't know if it stems from me being, you know, in the five love languages, I'm more of a words of affirmation type guy. So I think a big thing for me is I, I often struggle when people say negative things. It's just my, my gut reaction is I don't want to hear it. But over time, I think I've matured and I've realized there's so much value in not just hearing it, but also creating a, having a disposition where people are willing to give it to you. And I've, that's something I've been working on too. And I've talked about this on my podcast about how do I, how do I convey to other people that I want them to give me feedback? Cause you could say all day, Hey, I want you to give me feedback. But if my disposition yep. is one of which yeah, I really don't want that, I'm just saying that, then people, especially those that love you and care about you might be unwilling to give that. Um, so I think for me personally, it's a journey, uh, but, but, you know, going through Ranger school, West point, being a prosecutor, doing all these things, I've learned there's so much value in filling in those blind spots because we all have them and we have to have other people fill them in for us.
1: The the one part that's uh, critical, I'm glad you brought that up, Cal is you need to think about how you're going to respond when you receive critical feedback. The reason why is if you immediately get defensive or, or find yourself in that place of denial, you'll notice the people you've asked to give you feedback will stop doing it because yeah. they think you can't handle it. And maybe you can't. And yeah. so uh, for me, I always have to go into those conversations knowing do not get defensive, <laughs> be grateful. Right? Yeah. Even if I have to just sit there and just take notes the whole time and not respond, because if I respond and I immediately get defensive, I know what I'm training them for the next time is to not be as hard on me or not be as straightforward with me because the, you know, we're, we're people, we're, we're human beings. We're, we naturally don't want to do that to others. So if someone can't take it, then you're going you're gonna to start maybe being a little bit less direct. You're not going to be uh, as straightforward, and that's not helpful. I need, I need the real stuff, and so I, I have to prepare myself to take the feedback for the next time you can do this it's okay in fact i want it i'm very grateful even if it stings a bit when i'm receiving it
0: man that's gold you helped I, me right there
1: <laughs> well so i'm curious though as someone who's a special forces guy law school all of this like how does this play in the military what's it like when you're deployed or there's there's literally life and death on the line like how, how do you because you you may not get to choose your coaches. In fact, you probably don't. And and just because they have the position probably doesn't mean doesn't always mean that oh wow this th- this leader is incredible. I mean, I'm, you're humans. There are good leaders and bad leaders in all places. How how did you handle that if you were you found yourself in a position where it wasn't necessarily someone that you wanted to listen to?
0: Yeah, so the tough part about the military is it's, that's so rank structured. So, you know, I was a platoon leader. So in my platoon, I was the, you know, the senior guy. So I, I, I don't think that my lower, uh, the people that were junior to me felt comfortable giving me feedback because I'm outranked them. And so it would have to be me initiating feedback for me to get it, especially from, I think the folks that matter the most, which are the people that I'm leading, I would get plenty of feedback from my superior officers. And, and I think the tough part for me is so you get, you show up to West Point. I had played football in high school. I, you know, was at the top of my game and I get to West Point and then they start crushing you and they start giving you all this very clear feedback and none of it's good. They're trying to kind of break you down. And so I think you do kind of start to associate feedback with this negative thing. And then I go to ranger school, same thing. You're getting all this like feedback that's never good. And so again, I'm associating it with this negative thing. And so I've kind of had to retrain my brain now as a prosecutor. You know, I I know that I'm getting up and doing a closing argument. There's things I'm doing wrong. And if I do it wrong, either a conviction can get overturned or I could, you know, just not persuade the the jury. So there's just, I've learned, I think people like Ray Dalio, Adam Grant, a lot of their work has taught me this. There's so much value. In feedback, so I'm kind of trying to retrain my brain, but I guess going back to your question i th- I found that in the military, the rank structure often creates this impediment to getting feedback from those that probably you need it from the most, so it has to be the leader initiating it for to get feedback from the junior people.
1: I- I know for you from reading my book uh, know the quote that I really like. And 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 I'm curious, again, how that plays military-wise and how we can transition out to the business world, which is you know, compliance can be commanded, but commitment cannot. Mm. Uh, meaning there are some, if they're my boss or they rank ahead of me, I may have to comply, but you can't force commitment. You have to be the type of leader that someone wants yeah. to commit to. And so my one of the exercises I like to do with teams is is write the word compliant versus committed and think of the people that you've complied to because you you don't want to get fired because you had to based on position versus the leaders that you committed to and what is it that these leaders in the committed column what behaviors did they exhibit why why did you commit to them and that and, and going through that exercise can be helpful for people to jot those words down or jot those actions down as we're trying to build up ourselves into how what how can we be the type of leader that others want to commit to? Uh, I found that to be to be quite helpful.
0: Yeah, I think that's perfect because I think, especially in the military, and it's probably true in the business world as well. But especially in the military, you have you have again the rank structure, and so you do have the ability to get compliance. People will fall in line because they have to, or else they could be. I mean, they could literally be prosecuted for not. Obeying your order. So yes, you always have that. Uh, I think in the actual uh, publication, the doctrine they talk about the the mechanism that is is pressure. Uh, You could do that, but again, it's not going to lead to any type of long term success. It's not going to build a good culture. And so I, because that is an option, I do think that's something that leaders in the military have to be careful of because sometimes it's the expedient way. Maybe you'll get that short term result, but long term. Uh, you're not going to build a team that lasts and people frankly just aren't going to look at you as someone uh, as a mentor or a coach, uh, someone they can come to. So, yeah, is that is that something you see in the business world
1: as well or is that is that something that you think is unique to the military? Um I don't I can't speak for the military. I think I I just think there are people I've complied because I had to and yep. then there are ones I've committed to. Because I wanted to, and because yeah. of their actions, were the type of people that I wanted to commit to. Them. I think one of my best bosses ever, and he was the the uh, actually the the boss of my boss, named Brian Miller, who I we're still friends to this day, and I worked from uh, a few jobs ago. It was his actions on a daily basis, his ability to tell stories, his ability to relate, how much he cared yeah. deeply, truly cared about yeah. the people he was leading, his his level of integrity, how he yeah. always did what he said he was going to do. I, you know, I I was lucky to speak with general McChrystal yesterday and he he said, think about your, your say, do gap. And I know this has been written about. I've since researched it after we talked, but I hadn't heard it before he said that. I said, say, do gap. What do you mean? What, what you actually say and what you do as the excellent leaders, there is no gap, but we all know those leaders where there is a big gap between what they say and then what they do. Don't, there should not be a big gap there. If you're, if you're striving to be an excellent leader, don't be saying this and then doing something way over here. That should be a uh, minimal, if, if, if not zero, gap in what you say and what you do.
0: Yeah, because that's all about trust, right? What you mm-hmm. talk about in your book about how critical trust is to building a culture. Can you talk a little bit about culture? Uh, you talk about that in your book about just building a team. What does culture mean to you and, and what are some tips you would give to a lot of us? Because I think for me personally, Leadership, I think we can easily overcomplicate it, and I think it goes back to what you just said about. At the end of the day, it's about just caring about people. But you know, you get pressure from the top, uh, especially as a middle manager, if you're in those types of roles, there's a lot of you know you can want to create an empowering culture, but maybe your boss doesn't believe in that. Uh, what are some tips that you might give us just to kind of focus us as leaders on on the keys to creating a successful uh, or really just healthy culture, I guess?
1: So I think culture, though, starts with it's, it's what you do more so than what you say. So a lot of places have the words that are important and potentially the values hanging up, and I think that's good. We should. I have them hanging up upstairs in, 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 in my home here where we live with our family, but it, it doesn't mean anything, though, if your actions, again, this, mm. this, this save yeah. you gap, it doesn't mean anything if your actions don't follow. And so, and that starts with the leaders of the organization. How do they actually behave? What do they do on a daily basis? If they show and lead from the front as far as how much they care about each person, they care about their frontline leaders. They care about those who are taking care of others. It starts there. So, it, it just like you, you look at um, companies that take excellent care of their customers. It never happens without the leaders doing the same to the people internally. It always starts inside the company. Always. Yeah. You're never going to find a company that takes exceptional care of their customers, yet they have a terrible work environment. So it always starts there with with trust, with actions, with integrity, all the words we know, but it's actually living those out on a regular basis consistently. So that builds confidence with the people working at your place of work to say, okay, this is how we behave here. This is the way it is here. And if they don't like that, then then they can self-select out. But it starts internally and then you see it go outside of, of, of the company with within the customers that they serve. I love this quote
0: that you put in the book. It says the culture precedes positive results. It doesn't get tacked on as an afterthought on your way to victory. Champions behave like champions. They have a winning standard of performance before they are winners. And that's from Bill Walsh, coach uh-huh. of the San Francisco 49ers. But I love how you highlight how culture sometimes we think oh we want to we want to achieve the task or we want to hit the numbers, we want to do the thing and we forget well Maybe I shouldn't focus on that necessarily and just focus on
1: creating the culture that's going to produce those types of results. Right. And that's the long game style of playing. But like like you said, that's why I love the quote so much that it that it stayed in after many edits, but but that <laughs> precedes that precedes what's the result. And and that comes from his book called The Score Takes Care of Itself. And I, I firmly believe that that if you're behaving and acting, your actions are that of a champion on a regular basis, the score eventually and and whatever your scoreboard is in your place of work will take care of itself and uh, I think that's just that's just an important way to behave on a regular basis as a leader specifically because people are looking to you they're not necessarily they want to hear what you have to say but they're really looking at what do you do how do you behave on a daily basis and that's again what General McChrystal said to me yesterday was They're watching you more than you even realize. They're watching everything. When you're on a video call and you respond in a certain way when someone says something, they're watching very closely. Hmm. Be aware of the position that you're in and what comes along with that. That's not having an ego. That's not thinking you're something more special than anyone else but it's having an understanding of your position that people are going to look to you to see how you respond, how you behave, especially in times of crisis and they're going to take their lead from you. And so that's why it's important that you, you have this high level of awareness when it comes to that.
0: Yeah. Ryan, can you tell us a little bit more about, uh, so the, the interview you're referring to was one you did yesterday, which I'm really bummed I missed with General McChrystal. And obviously right now as we're recording this, we're right in the middle of the COVID-19 outbreak. It's affecting every single person uh, in our country, and the world. It's changing the way we do work and the way we you know, manage teams. And I think my understanding is you guys talked about uh, leading in uncertain times. And obviously, General McChrystal is a great person to talk about that. What were some of the big takeaways from that conversation yesterday
1: for you? Uh, so many, I would say. One of, the, one of the, the, the aspects that Stan mentioned that really stuck out to me was uh, the, the, the mindset of how we lead through crisis. And really, there are three parts that he brought up that I think people are taking away and implementing immediately. One is to communicate relentlessly. I think communication ramps up. People are now working, for the most part, more remote. Um, so that means levels of communication needs to be up. Make sure your team hears from you. They see you. They understand what's happening uh, up that level. Then one part that was interesting was he said, match your internal operating pace with that of your external environment. Understand the way you have to move. Um, and he mentioned a time when he, was, when, when, when he was leading our troops overseas, saying that the, the rate, the, the, the speed had really increased uh, as he was dealing with uh, the changing ways of the world Um, when he's leading 150,000 people in 45 allied countries that the rate, the speed had to really increase. And then it's important to continue to reiterate what winning looks like for your organization. Clearly define that so people have an understanding of of what does it mean to be successful? And as the leader, you have to be the one to to, to define that and to work with your team to help make sure they they have vividly clear messaging on what success looks like as times are changing. And um, that's that's a job as as a, as a leader uh, always. And my dad told me that early on: it is your job to make sure you've you have vivid clarity with each member of your team that they understand their role in achieving the big goal so get very specific over communicate with them so that they know that there is no doubt so if any outsider came to them and said what's your role in the in the team being successful they know precisely what to say oh i am to do this i know i am i, I know exactly what i am to do because i worked with my leader to get that set up and I think that's why it's important that we continually reiterate what winning looks like for each team member
0: I love that I love that idea of clarity and I think that's it's so important not only for I think the organization but also for the leader if you have to communicate clarity and then reinforce clarity well that means the leader has to be clear on exactly what The team members need to be focusing on. Obviously, in an empowering culture, and I'm not talking, I'm sure that uh, he's not talking about giving them every piece of uh, the task, but telling them the why, you know, telling them what, you know, the things that that need to be doing, but maybe not necessarily telling them the how. Um, Man, that's so good. Well, uh, Ryan, so you've done over 350 interviews on your Learning Leaders show. Uh, You are someone who, uh, have, has been praised for your ability to just to ask great questions we 've already talked about curiosity but i 'm curious what have you learned about asking questions? I think it was uh, Tony Robbins that said something i 'm paraphrasing here that you know essentially the the quality of your life is associated with the quality of your questions uh, yeah. so what have you learned about listening well and asking good questions after over 350 interviews with
1: top leaders from all over the world? Well, f- first I'd say, Cal, uh, I give you huge credit, man. Um, you're really good at this, and I don't, you know, I, I don't mm-hmm. say that lightly. So I, I give you credit for your preparation and the oh, questions thanks, that man. you've asked. So I, um, I'm i excited to continue to to follow along with what you do. Mm-hmm. As far as What I've learned question-wise, I've learned that the best questions, the ones that really get us somewhere, are the follow-up questions. Mm -hmm. The initial question is useful, and you should have good initial questions that take us to a certain place. Um, And and so the sustaining excellence excellence question is a good starter for me, but what's more important is that I am – Uh, intentionally listening deeply to that response to then ask an even better follow-up question. And the tough part is you can never predict what that's going to be because you don't necessarily know what they're going to say. So being an active listener, uh, really taking it all in, listening to the very end of their answer, not just waiting to talk and then seeing if there is a great follow-up question to ask or knowing when to be agile enough to go on to the next question or the next topic that is that is that is maybe shifting gears a little bit. So, I think there is a lot of art to that that the more repetition you get the better you get of saying should I stay here or should I go on to the next topic should I stay here or go to the next topic and you never fully know but you, you get a sense that that it's going well when the when the person, and a lot of the people I have on my show have been interviewed many times, when you find them or they tell you they're going to a place they haven't really been to before. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying that I have to do that every time, but I do want to get people a step deeper than maybe the the normal surface level answers they give. And so I try really hard to be an active listener and ask even better follow-up questions and then to... Uh, have to tell myself before every single interview um, to not have any fear to keep pushing, um, not in a disrespectful way, but be willing to ask a tough question or be willing to ask them to get more specific or to ask them to give me an actual example to illustrate that point. I think that's what I've learned over time from doing this. And that's that's made the show better and better and why people seem to to keep telling their friends to listen.
0: Yeah. Well, you, you do a great job. Um, so one thing, so right now we're in the middle of a moment that's unusual for for all of us, really. Uh, people maybe have more time on their hands, although I know a lot of us are trying to uh, manage little ones at home while also working. So, you know, maybe you have more time, but you have more distractions. Um, what I, I want to just ask you as we're wrapping up here about starting. I think so many folks have things they want to do, uh, but maybe just you know, spend so much time planning and thinking and perfecting that they never really start. Now you've obviously, you started a podcast many years ago. You started writing a book. Now you finished writing a book. You're starting another book. Uh, what advice would you give to people in these moments who might have a little extra time to just get started on certain things and dreams that they want to accomplish?
1: Yeah. I I think based on what you want to do, uh, I would, I would, I think it's worth it to do some research on what it is you want to do. You want to write a book? I would study briefly what it means to write a book. So in that case, uh, the, the importance of an outline. Uh, in my case, I hired a coach to help me write an outline and write the proposal. So I, the main thing I'd say is don't be afraid to get help. Ask for help from people who have done it, who you respect. Um, but then you get to the point where you just have to do it. And uh, we're, we're all going to be, pretty average or below average at whatever it is, the first time we do it for the first time. You just can't worry about that. Keep striving on just getting better and educating. Like when it came to podcasting, I did a deep dive on iTunes and understanding the algorithms and then studying interviewers and what I liked and what I didn't like and then trying to do my best to put all that together before I launched my own. When it came to writing a book, right, hiring people to help me. Uh, asking for help from from many others who have written best selling books to say, "How did you get started? What was your outline like? Can you send me your proposal?" Right, all these things, and then I seeing that uh, helped me get started. So I think really it's not being afraid to ask for help, and then once you're getting help, start doing it, and then as you're doing whatever it is that you're starting send a draft or, or, or send a, uh, an example of the audio to somebody else. What do you think? What could I change? What could I improve? And then as we said earlier, be ready to receive critical feedback because that's how you improve. That's how you get better. And that's how you grow. So don't be afraid to, 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 get some critical feedback. In fact, you, you should receive it, take it with grace, take it, uh, uh with gratitude and and then keep at it. I think that the, the people ask me like, how, how have you been able to do this? It's the least unsexy answer ever just waking up and doing it every single day for five years plus. And (laughs) and that's part of the deal is just doing it every day. But it would be hard to wake up and do it every day if I didn't love it. And so that is part of it. I love the process of preparing for a podcast. I love the process of preparing for a speech. I love the process of doing it. And then even the post process of typing my notes out and learning about it and figuring out and then at the follow-up with fans and listeners. So. Uh, I will say that's helpful though, is, is that the preparation process can actually be enjoyable. And if, if if you don't enjoy the prep process of whatever it is you're doing, that's going to be tough to, to sustain it over time, I think.
0: Yeah, man, that's gold. Um, So Ryan, can you tell everyone real quick, where's the best place for them to connect with you, find you? And then if you have any, uh, I think you have some online resources that also might be nice for people right now as we're all sitting at home.
1: Yeah, uh, learningleader.com is where everything is. And if you're on your phone listening to this, you can text the word learners to 44222, and that's how you can get a hold of me. So uh, learningleader.com or learners, text learners to 44222. Awesome, Ryan. Hey, well, Ryan, I wish
0: you and your loved ones the best as you all navigate this moment in time. And thank you so much for sharing your insights with uh, our audience today. I appreciate that, man.
1: Oh, thanks, Kyle. Great. Uh, you did, you were fantastic. I really appreciate uh, your, your, your work and, and your preparation, man. All right, brother. Well, have a good one. Take care. All right.
0: Hey friends, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Ryan as much as I did. Isn't he great? There were so many great nuggets of wisdom that he shared from years of studying leadership at such an intimate level. I always like to leave you with a question and a challenge. So here it goes. You heard Ryan describe this framework for learning. It has four steps, learn, test, reflect, and teach. It's such a great system for turning experience and knowledge into insight. As Tony Robbins says, knowledge isn't power. It's only potential power until you can incorporate it into action in your life. So my question for you is which of those four areas do you need to improve in the most? Learning, testing, reflecting, or teaching? Think about that. Answer that for yourself and take these insights and turn them into meaningful action in your life. As always, you can find full show notes and a link to his book at calwalters.me. If you enjoyed this, please share it with someone in your network. You can also help us grow by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Go out today, friends, and lead well. Life is short. Let's make it count today.